Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a hypnotherapist and a coach, and I'm the author of two books, The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl, which is all about confidence. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is all about helping you to become your happiest and most confident, calm self. Today I'm talking to Dr. Gemma Newman, who is a GP. And she has a special interest in the links between our physical health and our mental health and also in plant-based living. So some of the things that we discuss in today's episode is the link between physical health, diet and mental health. And she shares so many interesting studies and tips for us all to be improving our mental health with what we eat and how we take care of ourselves. She shares something really interesting about how our sense of purpose impacts our mental and physical health. And I think you're going to love this insight. We chat about how environmental issues relate to our mental and physical health. And finally, she shares practical steps that we can all do to be happier and healthier. So I want to invite you to come on over to my website, karmau.com forward slash free. Enter your details there and I will send you my free anxiety toolkit where you will receive free mp3s worksheets loads of resources in there to help you to become your karma self and i'll also let you know about the latest podcasts there as well so head over to karmau.com forward slash free and enter your details there so let's get into the interview with dr Gemma newman so welcome thank you thank you for joining me Gemma. how are you i'm excellent it's a pleasure to be here with you chloe Can you tell us what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Yes. So my name is Dr. Gemma Newman. I'm a GP and I've been doing that for quite some time. I've been a doctor now for 15 years and I am senior partner at a busy NHS medical practice and I've seen everything from cradle to grave and I have always been passionate about helping patients to get to their best health and that's taken a variety of forms over the years. So I've been passionate about positive motivational interviewing and solution-focused approaches and nutrition. And my passion about plant-based nutrition has also taken me on uh, an exciting journey over the last few years, really seeing some great health benefits for my patients. And I basically do my best to incorporate all these different tools in my toolbox uh, in the hopes that it's going to help people onwards with their journey of health. 
brilliant. Yes. So are you a GP? Do people come and see you with their... Yes. I wish you were my GP. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm so lucky to have you. Oh, bless you. Well, thank you for that. I do love it. I love my job so much. Um, A friend of mine said that being a GP is a bit like saving lives in slow motion. And that's how it feels to me, that you can really get to know people and it can take a nudge here or comment there to really help shift their perspective on what's possible in their life and where they see themselves going. And it's such a privilege, it really is, to be able to have people let you into their lives like that. And these are people that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily go for therapy or um, wouldn't take the time out for themselves, but they do need someone to talk to. And being a GP, I think, in the modern age is a bit like being not just a doctor, but also sometimes a friend, sometimes a confidant, sometimes a counsellor, sometimes a vicar, sometimes everything in between. And I don't ever overstate that tremendous privilege because, yeah, it's a really special thing that people let you in like that. So, And I suppose you've got so much, um, I want to say, I don't know if power is the right word, but I suppose power to um, influence people and help people because... When someone goes to the doctor, it's like a single sentence they say can stay with you. You know, we really, yes, you know, that stuff stays with us a lot. So, you, you know, it you does. Know. And also the amount of courage sometimes that it takes to even book an appointment and even get one. You might have been waiting for a couple of weeks and then to psych yourself up to saying something. Like, it's a big deal for a lot of people. And so, yes, I think that that, that is a big privilege. And you're right the words that we say are powerful and I think also sometimes doctors underestimate the power that they have as well and that the difference they can make and it's easy to feel burnt out nowadays um, because of all the extra work that we have and um, yeah it's it's actually still such a vocation I think people kind of sometimes get stuck in the mire of the day-to-day without realizing how much how much power they have to change and um, improve people's lives. So, yeah, it's fantastic. I wouldn't change it for the world. Amazing. (laughs) Um, I know we've got so much we're going to talk about, and I only want to touch on this briefly because we didn't actually discuss talking about this, but can you share with people what proportion of people that come and see you come and see you for stress and anxiety? Just for people that need that reassurance, because it's quite a lot. It is a lot, yes. (laughs) No, you're right, Chloe. (laughs) It's a lot. And... It's interesting because often people don't necessarily even realise that that's why they've come in deep down. Um, Somatisation is where people have physical symptoms sometimes which are directly related to psychological issues and they are connected, mind, body, soul, brain, whatever you want to call it, has a lot of a very deep connection with the body. So yes, I'd say, oh wow, an estimate of at least 80% of the things I see are in some way related to people's mental health. Wow. Yeah. I always I think that's such a good message to remind people of if they're scared to go to their doctor to speak about their mental health or they feel like they're the only one or mm. it's really nerve-wracking going to speak to a professional about your mental health. So just know that the doctor will have seen oh, you know, yes. a lot of other people that day <laughs> with a similar type of issues. Yes, we have and sometimes it's important for us to keep our mental health in check because when you have someone new every 10 minutes coming with a genuine tale of woe or uncertainty or uh, despair and you have to think of ways to help them feel better every 10 minutes throughout the day it can be exhausting and it can be very draining so I always say to doctors you know in order to 
get the best out of your patients, you have to be in your best form and uh, take the time to yourself to really ensure that you are looking after your own mental health as well because mental health issues are actually quite big amongst healthcare professionals as well. Mm, yes, mm. yes. Can we talk a bit about mental health and diet? Yes, we I know can. you've got a, a special interest in in this area. Um, yeah. What are the important things that you notice about this topic? Well, what's interesting is that people who are happier tend to actually have a reduced risk of dying prematurely. And this is such an interesting area. There was a, a systematic review in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine and they were looking at over 70 studies. And what they found was that people who had a positive mood or general life satisfaction or optimism or even just a good sense of humour tended to have boosted survival rates even in diseased populations. So even in people who were suffering from chronic diseases, they still had some advantage because of their sort of mental state of mind. Um, and other research also suggests that people who are happier tend to get less sick. There was a fantastic study done at Carnegie Mellon University. And I don't know if you'd do this, Chloe. I think I might have done this perhaps when I was a student, but they paid people the equivalent of about £500 each. There was quite a few hundred people, I think, that got involved. And they paid them this money in order to allow them to squirt... Um, <laughs> basically flew viruses up their nostrils <laughs> to see if they got sick or not. I don't know if you'd do that. It wouldn't be worth it if I had a quid. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Maybe as a student it would be, I don't know. Because not everybody would get sick, of course. Yes. We have an immune system, an innate immune system that helps protect us against various things in the environment. What was interesting in the study was that uh, one in three of the people who would class themselves as anxious or depressed or hostile in mood got sick. One in three. Uh, and whereas um, those who had a much happier disposition, it was only one in five of them that got sick. Uh, and they even found these changes when they accounted for things like poor sleep and poor exercise patterns or stress. They still found the same um, association. So it's really powerful. Um, wow. Our state of mind as to whether we actually get sick in the first place. OK, it's really interesting <laughs> to hear that, that study because we might have heard that stress can impact your immune system, but actually... To, really, to hear it like that, it's yeah. a real thing. It really can. And what's great is that we can make a start with food. If we're feeling low, if we're feeling down, obviously we have to work on what the root cause of that is, whether it's something to do with our self-confidence or self-perception or life circumstance. But taking a simple step and eating something healthy may actually have a tremendous benefit. And there's two fantastic randomised control trials that show us that. Um, there's one called the SMILES trial back in 2017 and they wanted to look at whether diet interventions could have a role in improving mood and uh, they didn't use anything else. So they got people, one cohort had a modified Mediterranean diet which was very high in vegetables and whole grains and the other cohort had social support and they wanted to see how they did and whether their diet made any difference. And what was interesting is that um, in the group that had mostly vegetables and whole grains and modified Mediterranean diet, there was a third of the group that went into remission from their depression. These are people with active depression. And in the social support group, there were only an 8% uh, remission rate in within three months of the trial. So there was a big difference in the amount of people who felt um, subjectively better and the diet was just changing what they ate. They didn't have anything else 
as an intervention. It was just the food, which I thought was amazing. Wow. And um, that's not taking, you know, fancy supplements no. or anything like that or green powders or anything. No. This is literally Mediterranean diet. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And um, and there's another one that I love. Um, there's another randomized control trial. It was actually run by Geico, which is I don't I don't know if you sp- if I said that right. It's G E I C O Geico. It's an American insurance company, and they use their employees to do another randomized control trial on diet. And what they did, they recruited nearly 300 people across 10 different cities. And they had an intervention group where these people were known to be overweight or diabetic. And in the intervention group, they basically gave them a once a week, one hour, I believe, education session on diet and things to eat and a plant-based diet. And they also gave them an option in their staff canteen. If they wanted, they could pick a healthy plant-based meal. So there was no obligation to actually eat the food that they were talking about in the intervention. So what I loved about this was that it, you know people had their own choice. It was a very relaxed controlled trial. But in the intervention group, there was still a statistically significant improvement, not only in weight and lipids and average blood sugars, HbO1c, as you might expect if they did decide to go for the plant-based meal. But what was interesting to me was that they also had improved rates of depression, anxiety, and they had improved productivity scores as well. So the effect on their mental health was almost, I would say, a surprise. Was you know They're getting the other benefits, but they're also getting the mental health benefits as well, which is fantastic. Fascinating, fascinating. Can you can you talk a little bit about why the fact that it was plant based might have an impact on our mental health? Well, there's so many different reasons why it could be. Uh, There are some studies on how increasing folate from green leafy vegetables boosts mood. Um, There was a Taiwanese study of elderly um, people and they found that increasing their vegetable intake boosted their mood by up to 60% or so. then we have the fiber content so for example when you have a very high fiber diet you get something called short chain fatty acids produced which are supposed to be really good for feeding the beneficial gut bugs that help to make um, precursors for our beneficial neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin Um, and it might also be the bioavailability of an amino acid called tryptophan as well. Tryptophan is contained in many foods um, and it's especially high in foods like chicken so you'd think well why would it be more important for it to be potentially plant-based? Well there is an argument to suggest that it may be more bioavailable from a plant source Um, so there was one study on um, in 2009 it was a randomized control trial and they had um, 106 people losing weight some had a high carb some had a low carb they both both groups lost weight about the same amount statistically but the ones who had the high carb diet from healthy sources uh, improved their depression anxiety and mood state scores again and so the hypothesis was made that it might be that the tryptophan which is a precursor for serotonin was more bioavailable in these high uh, carbohydrate diets so foods like sesame seeds and um, sunflower seeds pumpkin seeds butternut squash these are not only high in fiber but they're also high in tryptophan so that's another potential theory but it's it's complicated we don't know all the potential reasons Um, I think having whole foods in their most natural form is just good for the body and what's good for the body is often good for the mind Um, we've got a lot of our immune cells down in the gut and um, 
We've got microbiome um, effects. Uh, in fact, there's loads of new psychiatric research into so-called psychobiotics. These are the bacteria in the gut that can actually potentially be useful for improving our mood as well. So it's complicated, but I'd say probably number one reasons would be it's beneficial gut bacteria, um, fibre content and increase in micronutrients. Because if you think about it, all these fruits and vegetables are filled with micronutrients. That's where we get most of our, well, all of our phytonutrients from and antioxidants. So it's, it's bound to have a, a good impact, I think, on the brain as well as the body. So eat your broccoli, basically. Yes. Oh, <laughs> eat your broccoli. Oh, yes. And I've got a little bit of tip about broccoli Ooh, as well. Okay. Have you heard of the hack and hold technique? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm fascinated. <laughs> Tell me more. Okay. Well, when you have a cruciferous vegetable like broccoli or cauliflower or kale or Brussels sprouts, they are so good for you. And one of the reasons why is they contain um, sulforaphane, which is really good for inducing the phase two liver detoxification pathways in the body. But it can't be activated unless it's been chopped up, unless the cell, unless the cell uh, membranes have been disrupted. So if you're having it raw and you're chewing it in your mouth, then it goes into the stomach. You can activate the sulforaphane that way because there's going to be a transit time between when you've chewed it and when it's gone into the stomach. But if you're chopping up your cruciferous veg at home and you just chuck it into the pan, the enzymes that are needed denature with heat. Morosinase denatures. So what you want to do is chop up your veggies first leave them on the side for about 40 minutes and then pop them in to cook and then you're getting all the sulforaphane which is going to help your liver to function and detoxify as it should oh my goodness (laughs) broccoli hacks everyone literal broccoli hacks (laughs) (laughs) anyway so that that was an aside i love it but yes so so there are huge benefits to mental health from eating um, a predominantly plant-based diet and we see it time and again in study after study I love it. As someone has just gone plant-based, that's good news for me. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) That's very good. Well done. (laughs) Getting more vegetables. Lots of beans. Lots of beans. Beans Beans are amazing. Um, And part of the reason they're amazing is that they're so good for reducing insulin resistance as well. So, But anyway, that's not the topic. Tell me more. Tell me more about the beans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I love is that when we look at, what should I say, the, the blue zones. Have you heard of the blue zones? No. Okay. So... There's this well-known researcher for National Geographic called Dan Buettner, and he spent most of his career looking at the populations of the world with the highest longevity, the highest active longevity, people who actually are enjoying themselves, you know, moving around, living their best lives for as long as possible. And um, what they found is that there's some small pockets of the world with the highest proportion of centenarians, people living around the age of 100. And these are places um, like uh, Sardinia, um, Korea in Greece, uh, the Loma Lindens of California. Uh, there's an island off the coast of Costa Rica. Um, and these people, uh, most of them live on islands except the Loma Lindens. But what they've all got in common is that they have about a 90% plant-based diet and they've all, they all have some form of bean in their diet. So beans are very, very um, healthful. So not just kidney beans or baked beans you've got all sorts of beans and that includes things like chickpeas and lentils as well and the reason so good they're so good is they've got soluble starches they've got insoluble starches they've got the protein 
They've got everything that you could need, including the micronutrients. So you're not just getting protein. You're getting all sorts of things, not only just to feed you, but to feed your gut bugs as well. And they line the um, the intestine, which means that you're going to have less of an insulin spike with your next meal. So say, for example, you have a, a lentil bolognese with, with uh, brown pasta. And then when you have like a, a mango or something after that, it won't give you such a big sugar spike. As That's a result. really good news. And yes. a good excuse to eat more hummus. Oh, hummus. <laughs> I love hummus. <laughs> I love hummus. I love hummus. The hummus passion. Um, so, I mean, there's so much I, need, I want to ask you. What, what to ask you next? What about purpose and health and mental health? Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, what I've seen in my clinical practice is that people have to have a reason to change. And if I tell them to do something, it could last for a few days, maybe. Um, If they have a logical reason that they've told themselves to do something, it could maybe last a few weeks. Um, But if they have a purpose or an identity or an aspiration that matches the intention, then that's when the changes can last a lifetime. And I see that in my practice time and again. Um, And so... What I think is interesting is sometimes when you look at um, studies, you see that people who have... So, for example, there's this really interesting book which I really enjoyed reading called Radical Remissions by Dr. Kelly Turner. And she conducted interviews with over a 1,000 people who'd had radical remissions from cancer because she wanted to understand was there anything that these people had in common. Um, And she didn't make any judgments on it. She didn't try to find a cure because, you know, that's something that could create certainly create false hope in people um but she just wanted to understand more about what it was that helped them get through it and these are people who had quite a poor prognosis i think around about 20 less than 20 percent chance of a five-year survival and there were nine things that she pieced together that they all had in common now yes we've just been talking about the importance of diet and it's true that the people she spoke to they had whole foods plant-based eating patterns that they had incorporated they were having things like filter water and they were all taking various herbs and supplements and interestingly there wasn't one particular herb or supplement that stood out but that that they were all doing mm. something um eating organic uh you know cutting sugar meat dairy refined foods but what's interesting to me was the element of purpose Um, these people had a reason for living they had good social support Um, they were taking active control of their own health they weren't just letting doctors decide what was going to happen next and and taking a back seat Um, they had deepened their spiritual connections or if they weren't religious they had a deepening understanding or an awareness of their highest self and they were releasing suppressed emotions and they were increasing positive emotions. And these, this is incredible to me. And this is, I think, really the heart of, of real medicine is to say we have to help people find their purpose, what it is that they want from their lives, who they want to be. And then all of the other health behaviours can come from that. You know, people are going to want to eat more healthily and more vibrant foods when they love their bodies. People are going to want to carry on with a meditation practice when they're in love with their mind. People are going to want to start journaling or uh, creating a a gratitude practice when they uh, are more in love with themselves as a person. And so 
that's where I think the, the root of it comes from. Um, and I've seen that myself in clinical practice. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of my patients and my friends. So, yeah. That's really interesting to me. And it definitely aligns with what I do with my clients as a coach. Um, there's something called DILT's triangle that we use in, in coaching. And at the top is identity and purpose. Wow. And it affects everything else at the bottom of this triangle, such as, you know, behaviours and habits and that sort of thing. And... If we can change our identity and tune into our purpose and the meaning behind things, changing habits, changing our routine, doing all those things just becomes automatic and easy rather than what most of us are trying to do is working from the bottom, just trying to change our habits, trying to, um, I don't know, for example, people that give up sm- want to give up smoking, if they have a real reason for yes. a purpose behind it you know they want to I worked with a client once who wanted to stay alive to do this um, bicycle ride with his son you know in 20 years time and his grand grandson and he held on to that image and he gave up smoking easily because he had that wow. real purpose behind it yeah so I love that that is reflected in in those findings with with cancer patients so. it's so true and I see it in my practice too because I, I say to people I've had some tremendous inspiring patients who have just wanted to feel different they've wanted and and they've created that positive future in their own minds um if i ask them what's important to them like you say your client wanted to give up smoking um for that reason i i mean some some other people might have a more immediate need um like to get their driving license back or to uh, to be able to um walk up the stairs again or to be able to um look their best for their daughter's wedding in a two months time it could be sort of small or big things but they if you can create some form of aspiration to uh, that, that matches your identity then then that that will help it to last i've I sort of people tend to slip back into unhelpful habits if they haven't done that um which i think is an important thing to say mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so yeah but it's interesting sometimes um, sometimes I get people to do this. Um, that there's this technique in in um, uh, solution focused approaches where you counsel someone to ask themselves the miracle question. Um, so it's the idea behind it is that they will um, start to imagine what their life could look like and start to incorporate positive health behaviours and start to notice when they're already incorporating positive health behaviours um, and also to help them realise that they are still the same person whatever their struggles have been and that that same beautiful soul essentially exists um, despite the problems and, and hopefully can rise above and I think it's a really powerful tool and it's so simple all you have to do is just get the person to suppose that um, when they sleep tonight um, and that the, when the entire house is quiet a miracle happens and the miracle is that the problem that brought them to you is solved and this could be anything this could be heart disease or cancer or low mood or anxiety or whatever it is however because you're sleeping you don't yet know that the miracle has happened so when you wake up tomorrow morning what will be different that will tell you that a miracle has happened and that your health problem is solved How would you get up out of bed? What would you make for breakfast? Who would you be surrounded by? What would the weather look like out of the window? Really try to visualise it as best that you can. And then sometimes I say to people, I want you to really think about it. And if you don't know, imagine what you'd notice if you did know. And (laughs) how different your day would look. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, I found it. I found it. People, people's faces, if you give them the time to really do this, then their faces can sometimes light up because they're starting to imagine something that they hadn't really previously thought about. Um, and it can actually help them to align that feeling of sort of self-identity and create some positive change that they hadn't considered before. So it's about almost visualising things being better. Yes. And it's a really powerful technique. Again, it's something that I often do with clients. In fact, always do with clients because um, so much of hypnotherapy is about creating positive images in your mind and helping your subconscious to really absorb that and take that on board. Because whenever you visualise something, that is that is the language of the subconscious. And you can send a message to your subconscious by using your imagination. So... I hope people listening are going to ask themselves the miracle question yes. and really start to tune into what would be different. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so interesting that you do that with your clients as well. I guess it makes sense that it, it can apply to everything, can't it? Mm. I do think that often what we tell our subconscious can affect our entire lives and we don't even know it. We're so we're sort of walking around half asleep a lot of the time. Mm. And yeah, I count myself in that too. Um, unconscious habits are so easy to do and so difficult to break. And that's the same even circling this back to food issues. There was research actually by, um, I think it was by Imperial, that showed us that every day we're making about, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there were around 213 food decisions. And we're actually only conscious of about 15 of them and all the other subconscious decisions. Um, and so, in a sense, if we can at least understand that, it does help us to make better choices. But also, I think it puts some onus on the food industry um, and society to making things easier for us, in a sense, because it's not our fault often when we pick something that's not right for us. Um, again, you know, instinctively, nobody reaches for a plate of steamed broccoli when they're feeling low you know they want they, they want that glass of wine or that ice cream or the chocolate or whatever would give them that immediate sort of kick um so i do think that it's important for um industry and society to make things easier for us to make healthier choices yeah i totally agree wouldn't it be good if we did crave broccoli when we were feeling low that would be <laughs> yeah. a useful i really fancy that broccoli salad right now <laughs> But the irony is, of course, if we're eating those kinds of foods habitually, we will have less need for the quick fix, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it's, what, it's what's hard for us to get. But once we do, it can make things a lot easier. Mm, yeah, totally. Can we talk about environmental issues and how they tie into our health? Yeah, yeah I think I am very conscious of this. Um, and that's partly why I'm so passionate about plant-based nutrition, because I see it as being... Um, a way of life that is intrinsically healthy if done properly and is also intrinsically beneficial for our environment, which is beneficial for human health long term, which is why I really like the fact that the conversation is moving on to that uh, in general through nutrition. So we have the uh, planetary health guidelines that, uh, that were created by the Eat Lancet Commission headed up by Professor Walter Willett, who is a world-renowned um, nutritional researcher. And not just him, you know, there was 37 experts in 16 countries that brought these planetary health guidelines together. And that's not an easy thing to do because you can imagine, you know, there's 820 million people with not enough food to eat. And then there's like 
2.1 billion people that are overweight and obese and trying to create some form of general universally healthy reference diet for everyone is hard but they did it and what they found was that they were really needing people to try to move more towards a sustainable plant-based way of eating not completely um, because that's not necessarily possible for certain communities um, but for most of us it is possible um, and in in the UK you know the British Dietetic Association is starting to catch up with the research now and they've created the Blue Dot campaign which is again a way of helping people more towards sustainable diets and why why is this important well we know that the animal agriculture industry does um, have a huge role to play not just in terms of carbon emissions but more to do with things like um, species extinctions and ocean dead zones for example uh, when you're stripping land to create soy crops those are not soy crops for most of us to be eating they're soy crops for the uh, for the cows and the pigs to be eating which we have to raise um, and it's just tremendously inefficient in terms of our water consumption and then of course you've got all the silage you know, you've got the silage from the cows and the pigs that's destroying these ocean ecosystems. Can you just explain what silage is? Sorry. Oh, it's the poop. It's the cow <laughs> and the pig poop. <laughs> yeah. um, it's got to go somewhere. Mm. You know, when we're raising all of these cows and pigs for us to eat, where, where does all their poo go? Mm. Uh, it ends up going in the water system and it, it can really damage those ecosystems and just landmass degradation and we know that that's happening in the Brazilian rainforest it's happening in lots of other places it's even happening uh, closer to home and it's very inefficient you could grow a lot more food for a lot more people if we didn't have to use them as a, a halfway house for our protein basically yeah. um, and antibiotics is another thing so sort of talking specifically about human health like you think to yourself well why is this important for me right now because I just want my steak and if I get it that's ethically sourced then what's the big deal well it's it still affects you in the long term because for example like I said antibiotic use is prevalent in the animal agriculture industry especially for factory farmed animals it has to be you know when they're all closely um, sort of packed together in this way infections are bound to ensue and quite rightly they need to be given some antibiotics to minimize their infection risk and you know treat them as well if they've got an infection but that ends up going into our own mini ecosystems inside our bodies you know we are all connected the inside is connected to the outside so when we disrupt our inner microbes as we do through eating foods that are containing antibiotics um, overtaking antibiotics that we don't need eating foods that are heavily um, pesticide containing which also strips our own inner microbes uh, that's not good for us long term that increases our long-term risk of things like cancer and um, dysbiosis and autoimmune diseases and the same is happening on the outside as well you know we've got degradation of the soil through um, conventional agriculture which means that we're stripping the topsoil which is much easier then to wash away next time you have a big storm a lot of the topsoil just washes off into the ocean and what are we left with we're left with depleted soil and what do we eat from the soil or vegetables but they can't have the same micronutrient or mineral profile that they that they used to because they are depleted as well so it's it's all connected and i think that if we can aim to um if it's possible for us personally to um help no-till regenerative agriculture help organic farming um aim to eat organic if we can afford to wherever possible um, having eating low in the food chain generally these are all ways to improve our health and also the health of the soil and the health of the planet so there's so many links between 
the health of the environment and our health. Yes. And I was saying this on a podcast that I was recording just before this one, how we forget as human beings that we are nature. And if we yes. we mess with nature, nature's going to mess with us. Yes. And um, <laughs> nature, unfortunately, we can't escape it. But this is, I mean, just in terms of basic things, I, I know that it was a bit of an esoteric chat I went on to help people understand sort of the macro and the micro and how it's connected. But if we just look at basic statistics, you know, um, I think the World Health Organization predicted that between 2030 and 2050, um, there'd be an additional 250,000 deaths from malnutrition, diarrhea and malaria and heat stress because of climate change. So this is a very real, tangible human loss. Um, mass migrations because of climate change potentially. Um, and I think the UN IPCC reported last year we had 12 years left. Now it's 11 years. Who knows? It might accelerate further unless we do something to change our current paradigm. So these these are sort of very real risk and in terms of even personal risks we know that we're becoming antibiotic resistant it is a crisis that can hopefully be addressed by industry and by pharmaceuticals um, because we all want to be able to go into hospital and not die from an infection that was routinely treatable in the past we want to be able to have a cesarean section without worrying about you know, life-limiting infection but we're looking into the abyss right now. I don't want to sound too dramatic, mm. but we need to come up with solutions. And I think that minimising antibiotics exposure through the animal agriculture industry is one of those solutions, as well as hopefully finding new antibiotic agents that we can use to treat us in the future. Because antibiotics are a good invention. They've oh, my in, God. You know, they've increased <laughs> our lifespan by yes. approximately you know 13 to 15 years on average. Wow. It's amazing, but they are overused and... Unfortunately, that has negative health consequences. People don't realise, you know, they think, oh, I'll just take antibiotics just in case. But what they don't understand is that multiple courses of antibiotics over a lifetime that haven't been necessary can disrupt our microbes so much that we could potentially have uh, an increased link there between um, microbiome depletion and future risk of things like autoimmune diseases and cancer. So there is a link um, that people don't necessarily understand. So antibiotics kill bacteria, and they kill the bad bacteria when you take them, so that's good, but they also kill the good bacteria when they're going yes. going through. So it's not good for our immune system because so much of our immune system starts in the gut. Yes. It's not good for our mental health because those bugs are really important for our mental health. And a lot of the antibiotics are getting fed to animals that we end up eating or having the milk from more so to the animals than to humans is that right yeah so so there's a there's a phenomenon whereby um you'd have biological accumulation in in the largest mammal if you like so um it's the same with things like fish in the ocean you know if they've they've if they've had plastics exposure pcbs dioxins in the ocean you're eating the fish you're going to bioaccumulate those toxins further than they have and so Again, with 90% of fish stocks depleted, what are we going to do? I mean, no plastic straws, that's great. But also, um, I would say perhaps eating less fish would also be beneficial. Um, and, I mean, if you do decide to eat fish, then go for the smaller ones and the ones that are wild caught, if you can, because the smaller ones bioaccumulate less of these toxins that we're talking about. And it's the same um, when you're eating things like cows and pigs, you know. Uh, they will still bioaccumulate things that we then bioaccumulate further. 
Right, so the little the the little fish get eaten by the bigger fish and get eaten yes. by the bigger fish. And if we eat the big fish, then we get all the toxins from all the fish. Basically. Yes, essentially, okay. that's exactly it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds appealing, doesn't it? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. But um, gosh. yeah, I mean, it's it's a very expansive topic. Um, but the thing is, people sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed. They think, I just, I can't do it. And that's okay. You know, I think the most important thing is to just be aware of some of the issues that, that there are and to use that knowledge to inform your choices next time you, you go shopping or next time you pick something at a restaurant. It doesn't have to be this massive, sudden shift. It can just be little you know, steps here and there to put you in, in that kind of direction if you feel called to do so. Um and that's actually how I believe Joseph Poor started his research. There was an interesting um, article that was published in Science Journal in June 2018. And he wanted to try to establish some sustainable way of uh, continuing with animal agriculture. And so he spent five years on this study at Oxford University. And there were over 40,000 farms involved in over 120 countries. It was very extensive. And what he found actually was that um, there was just wasn't a way to make it sustainable internationally. Uh, it didn't matter how they tried to crunch the numbers, they couldn't do it. And so after, I believe after a year of his five-year study, he decided to go fully plant-based himself because he realised it wasn't possible, it wasn't sustainable. Um, and yes, you know, you can argue again to, to, to just generally buy things that are more local over sort of air transported but even with all of those confounding factors it was it was predominantly the um, animal ag industry that 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 was um, the main thing that could be shifted yeah interesting yeah I was talking to someone today actually it said um, it was Emily Lyons who was a previous guest on this podcast Dr Emily Lyons and she said that we put 20 times as much energy calories into a cow as we get out of it because the cow is giving off heat, it's pooing, it's moving, and so it's a very inefficient use of energy. And if we were just to eat the plant, that's a lot more sustainable because we're not losing all that energy through that cow being alive. Yes. I mean, this is this is where people get a bit put off sometimes because you could you can go through all of these different um, calculations to think, oh, well, should I buy should I buy this berry? Where's this come from? And you know, has this been flown here, or has this been shipped here? And shipping is better than flying. And you know, you could you could get so confused. But I'd say if we just cut through all that and stick to low in the food chain and local, for the most part, you can't go wrong. Um, if that helps, that sounds that <laughs> sounds really good because yeah, I can definitely imagine people feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, and that sort of thing and I think you're so right just educating ourselves because a lot of us don't realise this and once we educate ourselves we can start to make some changes if we want to um, but we can't do that unless we actually face up to things and, yeah. and realise what's happening yeah that's so true but and it's been a journey for me too because I have to say I used to love steak and I used to love burgers they were my favourite meal I had such a refined palate every time I went to a restaurant <laughs> I'll have a burger please <laughs> Um, but it's amazing actually how your desires shift over time and that might be to do with the microbes in your gut Um, there's a lot of research around that actually which we could go into um, about how our microbes can sometimes shift our desires um, and um, and that sort of microbe brain connection that we have Uh, but that's certainly true for me Um, I don't fancy it anymore like I used to I just don't and I think um, you know these things can change over time 
as I was an avid meat eater myself in the past. Right, <laughs> yes. So do the microbes get a taste for mmm corn corn burgers? <laughs> well, it's um it's the different colonies that form really. So if you're if you're eating a lot of uh, meat and dairy, then the colonies of bacteria that you are supporting would be different from the ones that you support with a whole foods plant-based diet. And there are some studies to show actually that the um, microbial profile can shift with as little as one meal, believe it or not. Um, and what's great about having a predominantly plant-based diet is that you're not growing bacteria that can release a certain toxin which can increase your risk of heart disease, kidney disease and heart failure. Uh, TMAO is the toxin and um, when you're having a diet that's high in animal-based uh, choline, choline and carnitine sources then the bugs that are in your gut will digest those and produce something called TMA, trimethylamine, then that gets sent to the liver, your body makes it into TMAO, trimethylamine oxide, and that is pretty toxic to our blood vessels, to our kidneys, um, and you know can increase our risk of heart disease in the future. So it's, it's complicated, but that's one of the many mechanisms um, whereby having more predominant plant proteins is helpful. So interesting, so interesting. We were talking just before we started recording about the Game Changers documentary. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can you share a bit about what that is? Oh, I think it's fantastic. So I believe, in fact, what's the date today? Is it the 1st of October? It's the 1st of October we're recording this. We're recording. So whenever you hear this, then it will be out already to, to purchase on iTunes, I believe. Um, basically, it's a fantastic documentary that was made by James Cameron, who made um, Avatar. Oh, really? And, yes, and uh, Titanic. And he has got together... It, it's It's a film for men, actually. It's a film that will help um, men to feel more... Uh, connected to the idea that they can actually eat plants and be healthy and thrive, not just survive, but actually thrive. They've got a huge array of incredibly talented athletes on it. They've got Arnold Schwarzenegger on there. They've got Lewis Hamilton. Hang on. Is Arnold Schwarzenegger a vegan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Don't quote me on it, but if he's not vegan, he's definitely veggie. Oh, wow. <laughs> And there was one scene in particular which I think will really resonate with men um, and it was these young college um, athletes and they were seeing this urologist, Dr Aaron Spitz, uh, because they wanted to see whether diet made a, a difference to their sex lives. And what they did was that it, <laughs> the urologist used this specialised equipment to uh, attach to the penis and monitor their erections overnight because it's a normal physiological process that there are young men will occasionally you know have uh, an erection through the night um, and they gave the men so the first night they gave them a grass-fed beef burrito organic chicken burrito and a bean burrito and they chopped them all up so that you know it essentially looked like the same kind of burrito and they gave them to eat before bed and then they put this device on and then off to sleep they went and then the next night they gave them all the bean burritos and then off to sleep they went and then they got their results back and there's this most hilarious scene in the movie where he's given them their results and <laughs> one of the they all had improved erections overnight but one of them had 500 percent increase in firmness and frequency of erections oh over the course of the night it was so funny so Get your man on the beans is, is, yes exactly <laughs> it will definitely have potential to improve your sex life no but that's that's one scene there are lots of different scenes to the film which i found enjoyable and um 
it was just a very nice, uh, very well woven together piece talking about the personal stories of people who've who've been very successful with a plant based diet that was well planned and and um, achieving great success. Because a lot of athletes are moving over to a plant based diet, like Serena Williams. Oh yes, Venus Williams. Yes, uh, Lewis Hamilton. Yes, um, the the only American Olympian who got through the heavyweight bodybuilding for, for in the in the Olympics. Um, We've got Patrick Baboumian, who is one of the strongest men in the world. Um, loads of bodybuilders are doing it now because they're all beginning to understand that it gives you a, if it gives you an edge over your competitors if you can have a boosted recovery time. What can happen with a healthy whole foods plant based diet is that you are having so many more um, antioxidants, phytonutrients, micronutrients um, that you are able to affect muscular recovery much more quickly. And so when you're not so depleted and you're recovering faster, you can get more training in. And you can see that if you've got more training in without muscle ache, then you're going to outdo your competitors. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yes. (laughs) Can you share, are there any practical steps that you can recommend to people to be doing? So I would say... That, well, if you want to make it more of an identity choice, you ask yourself, who am I? What's important to me? Um, what patterns do I have day after day that bring me more towards this person who I really am? Um, and it's not just about food, by the way. It's the films that you watch. It's the people that you surround yourself by. You know, really think, what do I do every day that brings me into alignment with my deepest self? And write it down. Just write it. And... When you start to even look at things like, what do I eat for breakfast? What do I eat for lunch? What do I eat for dinner? You you begin to see a pattern emerging. And the easiest way to make a healthy step is to just think of a new recipe, for example. Maybe try something new once a week. Um, because most people have only got a repertoire of about five or six meals that they circulate between every every week, really, most of us. And so once you've become confident with one new meal each week, then by the end of just a couple of weeks three weeks you've got a whole repertoire that you can use and use again and again um there's so many resources now aren't there um you've got the physicians committee they've got a great kickstarter um then you've got um deliciously ella i love i love her stuff it's Mm. brilliant Uh, and it depends on the person you know so for example if you're someone that just loves spaghetti bolognese you can make a one pot lentil bolognese and it's just really simple. If you're somebody that likes a chicken curry, you could just make a chickpea curry um, and learn how to do that. Uh, and it's just these little shifts here and there. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just about making progress. Uh, but pretty soon, once you've once you've connected your identity to the ability to make these changes, it becomes so much easier. It really does. But it's just about taking that first step and making sure that you align it with an emotion wherever you can. That's such a good thing to tune into. And I love the idea of just writing it down and actually spending that time to think about that and, and map that out a bit and could make such a difference. It really can. It it really can. And people don't usually do it. Um, you know, if you ask someone, have you written down whether your food aligns with who you are, they'll say no. Mm. Um, but it's a really powerful tool because they'll start to notice, actually, that that junk food I ate didn't feel so great really and it didn't make me feel like the person I want to be mm. um, and when I had this food that I made I really felt proud of myself and I really enjoyed it and it tasted so much better than I expected so I'm going to do that again and it's about 
as I say, making that connection um, and baby steps. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Please be kind to yourself. (laughs) Yes. Is there any other final practical step that you want to add? Well, I guess really it's about understanding that, you know, we're all connected. um, And if we can tap into that interconnectedness, it will help us not only feel closer to others and more compassionate, but also more compassionate to ourselves. And that is the basis for any long term life change. Um, So that would be my takeaway tip. But if you wanted something practical, then it would be to put a time frame in place for yourself. So, for example, um, if you're the kind of person that likes to suddenly make a decision and stick with it, then that's fine. You can do that. But most people need a time frame. Um, And so you could say to yourself, "Okay, this time next week, I'm going to have learnt this recipe. This time the week after, I'm going to have learnt this recipe. I'm going to have um, gone out for a 45 minute walk twice this week and plan which days you're going to do it or whatever it is this this night I'm going to go to bed uh, an hour and a half earlier than I have every other night for the last month (laughs) whatever your goal um, aiming to make it time specific is also super helpful perfect yeah thank you for that thanks so much for everything that you shared my pleasure where can people find out more about you and what you're up to um well if they're on instagram they could go to plant power doctor um, I'm Dr Gemma Newman, Plant Power Doctor on Instagram. Uh, I have a website, drgemmanewman.com. So there's loads of information and resources on there. If people have got specific diseases that they're wondering about, heart disease or diabetes um, or plant-based diets for pregnancy or children, for example, then there's loads of resources on my website, uh, podcast interviews, all sorts of stuff. Um and um, where else? Um, plant-based Health Professionals UK. Um, I've got a VegMed conference coming up. If anybody's coming to that, it'd be lovely to see you there. And you could always email me if you've got any specific questions. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, leave me a rating. And is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast? You can let them know by sharing this podcast. I'd be so, so grateful. So I'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead, sending you loads of love. Hopefully you'll tune in again and I'll see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.